0: mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we will focus on our epistle lesson, the first letter written by the Apostle Paul to the new church in Thessalonica. Paul usually wrote his letters to address various issues facing the local congregation And to encourage them, and this letter is no exception. It is believed that when Paul wrote his various epistles, they had their desired effect. That God's people were encouraged in the faith, they grew in the word of God, they corrected the false beliefs or abuses that were going on within the local congregation, and they continued to rejoice in the salvation that they had received through their Savior Jesus. Now, even though the epistles in the Bible were written for a specific congregation in a specific context and time, this does not mean that these biblical writings are merely historical documents. Instead, in these epistles, we hear of God's unchanging, life-giving, and saving word. We believe, teach, and confess that the scriptures are living and active and that the God, the Holy Spirit, is at work whenever the Bible is read or taught or preached or heard. The Bible, it is our book for us Christians, and it tells us of our story of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is important for us Christians to abide in that word of Christ, to be in the word. That's why I am introducing three ways for us to be in the word as we begin a new year next week with the upcoming Advent season. First, and the one that I'd like to see the most, is that we all read the Gospel of Matthew during the season of Advent. There's 28 chapters in Matthew, and this year there are 28 days in Advent. And so if we start next Sunday and read a chapter a day, we will finish reading Matthew on Christmas Eve. The next thing is I would like to see you all, and you can see this in your newsletters, learn a Bible verse each week to try to commit it to memory but to at least read it daily so that the words will echo in your ears and you have something to focus and meditate upon. And finally, let's follow a simple Advent devotion which focuses on our hymn, which we'll be focusing on during Advent, once he came in blessing. And in that devotional sheet that's in your newsletter, and extra copies are in the narthex, uh, you, you will also be able to read a Bible verse every day during Advent. So again, all of this is detailed in your your December newsletter. Today is the last Sunday, though, of the church year. And as I mentioned, next Sunday begins that new church year, that season of Advent, a year of God's grace to hear the word of God. The church year itself has been developed over the last 2,000 years And while the church year considers the Old Testament seasons and various festivals, the church year mainly is centered around the life and the works of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. After all, we receive the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation only through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the church year, beginning with Advent, begins with a season of preparation— a time of penitential reflection as we hear of the three ways in which our Lord Christ comes to us. And now, today, as we end this ch- church year, we hear of one of those ways that is, when Jesus will return in glory on the last day to judge the living and the dead. It's called the eschatology, the study of end times. It, that day is known as the last day or judgment day. And what our Lord teaches us, and we can see from our readings today, that we are to be ready, that we are to be ready when, we, when he comes again in glory. And the only way that we are ready is when God the Holy Spirit is at work in us, when he's working faith in us. And the only way God the Holy Spirit works faith in us is through the word of God. So if we avoid the word, we can be certain that the Holy Spirit will not be at work to sustain us in the faith. St. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in part to answer questions that they had concerning the return of our Lord Jesus Christ from the last day. When St. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he also offered much comfort and he was filled with joy that this young church has been preserved in the saving gospel. You see, St. Paul, along with some others who were with him on a missionary journey, they were the first ones to bring the gospel to the the city of Thessalonica. This is recorded in Acts chapter 17. The city of Thessalonica was along a major trade route, and it had about 200,000 residents, Making it a rather important city in the Roman Empire. There had been Jews living in that city for quite some time, and they had established a synagogue where they would gather for worship on Saturdays. And when St. Paul and Silas arrived, these two proclaimed Christ and Him crucified and risen in Thessalonica for three weeks, especially in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Some Jews were then converted to Christianity believing the word that, they, that Paul had brought, hearing that Christ had truly fulfilled the scriptures. And many Greeks also were converted. Many who did not grow up with that Old Testament Bible heard the saving word of Christ, that he came to save sinners through his death and resurrection, and that through him they can achieve eternal life. Many believed in this. Sadly, many Jews did not believe in this. They were not convinced. And rejecting Paul's teachings, they started a mob to attack the Christians. And eventually, Paul and Silas escaped at night, and they continued to travel along. They went south into Greece to Berea, and they found the Bereans much more reasonable. For the Bereans searched the scriptures to see if the things that they are being taught by these men are actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Sadly, when the Thessalonian Jews who rejected Jesus heard that Paul was now in Berea, they went to Berea too to go after him. And so Paul continued to travel south in Greece, and while he was in the city of Corinth, he wrote back to the Christians in Thessalonica to comfort them with the gospel. Paul was joyous. And he was relieved and thankful over the Thessalonians because he had heard through Timothy, a pastor, that the Christian church continued there despite the fierce Jewish opposition that they had witnessed. So Timothy was a pastor, the one to whom Paul writes First and 2 Timothy. And he brought back a report to Paul when Paul was in Corinth which prompted the writing of First Thessalonians. So while the Christian Thessalonians had been firm in their faith, faith, even in the midst of persecution that they had endured from the Jews, they were troubled by some things. And one of the things that they were wondering about was, what about the people who die? What happens to them? What happens if people die before Jesus returns on Judgment Day? Would they be lost or would they be saved? So what Paul does is he writes this epistle to them to address their concerns. He says that all believers who died will be raised from the dead when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And they shall always be with the Lord, Paul writes. They are with him now, and they will continue to be with Jesus on the day of the resurrection and to all eternity. But when will that day come, and how will we know that that day has arrived? Can it be that we will miss his return, miss the boat, so to speak? No, St. Paul declares. For St. Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In summary, what Paul says is when Jesus returns, there will be a shout, there will be the voice of an archangel, there will be the trumpet of God, It'll happen just as Jesus ascended into heaven when in Psalm 47 it says that God went up with a shout with that trumpet call of God. We will also see Jesus' return taking place when all the dead will be raised. And believers, as Paul writes, will be caught up together with the Lord. So obviously, we will all see and know that this is happening when Jesus returns on that great day. But when will it happen? Today's epistle teaches that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. That is, Jesus will come unexpectedly. Jesus says in Matthew 24, Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Jesus also writes in Mark chapter 13, or declares in Mark 13, concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Did you catch that? Jesus says, nor the Son, not only the Son knows, only the Father knows. So even though Only the Father knows when Jesus will return. Many people today, we can hear, keep on making predictions on when they think Jesus will return. They think they can somehow pinpoint the exact day of Jesus' return. We've heard of many over the years who have done so. They've all been proven to be wrong. For it is foolish to take a bunch of numbers in the Bible and do a bunch of math to come up on a date of Jesus' return. If the Father only knows, the Spirit cannot leave clues in the Bible for us to then figure it out. Yet, ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, people have been trying to make that prediction on the return of Jesus. In fact, the Thessalonians thought that Jesus was coming back so soon, many within the church quit working. They thought, well, why do I need to carry out a job? If Jesus will be back really soon, if he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead, he can't be gone real long, right? So then they quit their jobs. And so when Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians back to them again, he he told them to get back to work. He told them that Jesus is not coming back as quickly as they thought. He warned them against idleness. He wrote these words in 2 Thessalonians. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul also warned the Thessalonians not to engage in acts of darkness, as we heard in our epistle, which would prevent them from being ready for our Lord's return. As Paul wrote to them, telling them these things, he certainly is telling us the same thing. For in our day many shun the word of God acting in darkness many dismiss the law and in doing so and and often not realizing it they are also dismissing the saving gospel which is also acting in darkness many are trying to d- diminish the danger of engaging in sin which is acting in darkness many go so as far to redefine sin and now proudly celebrate the sin that they are engaging in, which, of course, they might think they're enlightened, but according to God's word, they're acting in darkness. When we begin to assert that things are no longer sinful, the result is that we figure that the gospel then is no longer needed because if we don't need absolution for something we claim is no longer a sin, then that gospel becomes irrelevant And then what we do is we fall into the pit of thinking that Christ and his word are also irrelevant and not needed. Many today feel that gossip, cohabitation, drunkenness, lust, and using God's name in vain are no longer sins. These things have become fashionable. Many feel that they may do them without repentance. And this is precisely what Paul warns against in today's epistle. He's warning against self-security, which causes people to not be ready for our Lord's return. Many will declare peace and security, and then sudden destruction will come upon them, as Jesus teaches. Even as many say, go ahead, it doesn't matter. God will still issue his judgments against such sins, and they will not escape. So instead, let us live with Christ as baptized children of God. For when we have been baptized into Christ, we have died to sin and we have risen to newness of life. Our identity has now changed. We are marked as a child of God. And as a child of God, we have put on the breastplate of faith and love. We believe in Christ and we love him And so we also in turn love our neighbors. We comfort and edify building up one another with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live this way our entire lives until our Savior comes back. For we know that Jesus will return. We keep on looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And for us Christians, that day of Christ's return, that day of judgment is not one for us to run away from and cower and hide in servile fear, but instead it will be a good and comforting day because our Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns, will count you as one who is holy, a saint. He will judge you to be not guilty, for he acquits you of your sin. He has removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He has forgiven your iniquities and he he remembers your sin no more. He is for you. He is not against you. This is also because Jesus, he came that first time. He came some 2,000 years ago, born ever so humbly in Bethlehem so that he could humbly go to the cross in Jerusalem bearing your sin in his body and suffering the wrath of God in your place so that he would render the ransom payment for your sin by the shedding of his innocent blood on the cross. What he did there in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago is that He paid for all sin and death and the grave could not contain our Lord. He rose triumphantly, gloriously from the dead that first Easter morning, making His resurrection the first fruits toward our own resurrection. For on that last day, when our Lord Christ comes, He will raise all the dead and give to all who believe in Him immortal, incorruptible, and glorious bodies, and we shall always be with the Lord. Such a great comfort this is, such a good reason for us to always be ready and to call upon him and to abide in the word of Christ. And so we be ready. We are ready in this word. We are ready for when Jesus returns, And we are to be ready, should he call us home. Just as we do not know when we will breathe our last, so also we do not know when Jesus will return. So be ready. Do not think you can engage in all manner of vice and then repent of all your sins in your dying moments. For God himself sees through such hypocrisy and unbelief And plus, many have not received that chance to repent due to sudden death. And many will not receive that chance due to our Lord's sudden return. We never expect a thief to come in the night, we never expect calamity to happen. But that is how Paul describes our Lord's return it will be one in which many will not expect. He will come when many are focused on themselves rather than on their Savior Jesus. He will come when there is much apostasy and fear. He will come as many are not ready. But for you, whom Christ has redeemed, called and gathered, enlightened and sanctified, brought you into his church, do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. Lift up your heads. Because your redemption draws near. Jesus is coming for you. He loves you dearly. He shepherds you. He shows that in that he died for you and he rose for you. He promises to hear every petition you bring before your Lord. And he gives you his word of salvation and promise. He feeds you his body and his blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins. For if you are ready to meet him this day in the sacrament, then you are also ready to meet him when he comes on his return. And this readiness only comes about when we are in his glorious and saving word of God. Therefore, come, Lord Jesus, make us ready for your return. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.